0: So, this is Hanukkah. This is this, this feast of dedication. And it says in verse 23 And Jesus is walking into the temple in the colonnades of Solomon. So, here we find Jesus at the festival of dedication during the feast, strolling through the temple. And the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So we see all the leaders, they gather around Jesus again. And, 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 I, and I kind of picture it in my mind. They're not just kind of gathered. they, they, they got him like surrounded, right? They've got him pinned in a little bit here. They say, Jesus, how, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? How long are you going to keep stringing us along? Stop playing games, Jesus. If, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Christos, if you're the anointed one, just tell us. And I read this, and I look at their question. And I can't tell if they're being genuine, asking Jesus this, or if, they're, if there's a mocking tone in their voice, sort of. And since the crowd seems to be a little bit split already on who Jesus is, I think it's probably a mixture of the two. I think that there's critics in there, and I think the mockers are probably the majority, but I think there's some people who are genuinely asking the question as well. They say, look, Jesus, if you're the one that we've been waiting for, just tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, verse 25, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. So Jesus stops and he answers the Jews. He says, who am I? I've told you guys countless times already who I am. And we look through John's gospel and look to the other gospels chronologically up to this point, and Jesus has made it perfectly, abundantly clear who he claimed to be. There was, there was no ambiguity at this point. There was no room for doubt or discussion as to who Jesus claimed to be. Jesus says, look, you guys, you already know the answer. I've already told you guys who I am, and you didn't believe me. You guys dismissed me. You said that I was crazy or you said that I was possessed by a demon. You guys said that I was an illegitimate child, that I was a fraud, that I was a charlatan. I've already told you who I am. He says, but my works bear witness of me. He says, the things that I do in the name of my Father will tell you all that you need to know about who I am. And think about that. Jesus at this point He's fed the multitudes. He's raised the dead. He's healed the sick, the crippled, the blind, the leprous. He's calmed the storm. And none of these things were done in secret, right? These were well known events. And so Jesus says, Look, you guys are asking me these questions, but you already know the answer. You already know what I'm going to tell you. Why don't you look at the evidence? Why don't you take a good look at the things that I've done? Those things that I've done in the name of my Father. That's all the answer that you should need, Jesus says. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So Jesus tells the leaders, he says, look, you've seen the evidence and you should believe by now, but you don't because you're not my sheep. He says, my sheep, they recognize me. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I know them and they know me. But you don't know me and you refuse to believe. And this is sort of a reference to what he was saying earlier in chapter 10. If you missed last week, there's some CDs out there. You can listen online. But he goes on in verse 28 and says this. I give them, he's talking about his people now, his sheep, his disciples. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You know, we could camp out on these three verses for weeks and weeks and weeks. There are literally bookshelf after bookshelf written whose contents focus solely on the on what we see in these couple of verses right here. So I hope you guys brought a snack today, because we're gonna no, we're just gonna touch on it briefly. Jesus says, I give my sheep eternal life, and they will never perish. And he's talking spiritually, of course, right? Unless the rapture occurs, there's a pretty high chance that all of us are going to die. But he's talking about spiritual life. He's talking about eternity. And he says, my people, my sheep will never perish. And he says, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. He says, my father, there's no one that's greater than him. No one can snatch my followers out of the hand of my Father. And it seems to me that he's stating pretty clearly here that once a person becomes a follower of Jesus, that person is secure in Christ eternally. I mean, that seems clear to me. And I am certainly no Calvinist. But I absolutely believe in eternal security. I absolutely believe in once saved, always saved, I think. I mean, <laughs> so we're going to spend a few minutes talking about this topic and kind of unpacking it a little bit because I think it's important for us to understand who we are in Christ. Jesus says, "Look, if my Father has you, right? He's the he's the sovereign Lord of all things. And if he has you," Jesus says, "Who can snatch you out of his hand?" You know, I've been involved in ministry in one degree or another since I was 17. So like 10 or 11 years I've been doing this. And I, 28 years I've been doing this now. And just a side note, some of you guys might be thinking, you know, Pastor Joel's new, he's going to get better. (laughs) Probably not, right? After 28 years, this is what you get. This This is all there is. But after 28 years, lo- you know, people, they come and talk to me, and I hear a lot of the same questions over and over again. And one of the questions I think that every pastor hears is something like this. You know, Pastor, I've, I've sinned. I, 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 I've gone astray. I feel, like, I feel like I may have lost my salvation. You know, have I gone too far? And first of all, if there's anyone here this morning that's struggling with that, whether you've lost your salvation or not, if you're concerned at all that you may have lost your salvation, that's evidence that you haven't. Right? That's evidence that the Holy Spirit is still at work in your life, drawing you back to Him. If a person were able to lose their salvation, hypothetically, if they did, they wouldn't care because their hearts would be so hard against the things of God. Listen, God's grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient to cover all of your shortcomings. When you came to Christ, when I came to Christ, we were justified. We were forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. When Jesus saved me, he already knew all the stupid things that I would continue to do. And before he ever saved me, he knew those things, and he chose to save me anyway. The Lord didn't save me because I was so good, and he saw so much potential in me. The Lord saved me because he's good, and he knew I had no possibility to save myself. That's what grace is all about. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and you guys know this verse probably, in chapter one, verse six. It says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is this. Look, the Lord started a good work in your life, and he's faithful, and he's gonna complete it. If you're a child of God, he's not gonna abandon you. A number of years ago, I was just kind of thinking through this issue a little bit and studying it. And as a lot of you guys know, I'm i am I'm a pretty big sci-fi fan. And for whatever reason, I particularly like the um, sort of the time travel genre. And I don't know why, but any books or movies that deal with that, I, I, I kind of get sucked in and I find myself thinking about that a lot for some reason. And just to be clear, I am aware that it's impossible. I know that it's not a real thing. But anyway, thinking about it, sort of gave rise to this idea. And I've never heard anybody express this before. It may be insane. It may be wrong. But but let me kind of express logically how I think about losing your salvation. Now imagine this. First of all, we need to understand, God created time, right? And God exists and operates outside of time. Now we don't. We're, We're temporal beings. He's infinite. So, natural man is born, and and he lives in a linear fashion, right? He's born, he lives, he dies without Christ, and he goes to hell. Now, if you have somebody who they're born, they're living through life, all of a sudden they get saved, And their their destination changes. Instead of being on the path to hell, they're on their way to heaven. And they're on their living life. And all of a sudden they reject Christ, lose their salvation, quote unquote. They end up back on that original timeline and they end up in hell. What were they saved from? If they ended up in hell. God exists and operates outside of time, and if at any point in, exist, in, in any point in eternity, you find yourself in hell, then you were never saved at any point in time, right? Because salvation is what? Salvation from hell. Salvation from your sins. So if you ever end up in hell, then you were never saved from your sins. So by that logic, it's impossible to lose your salvation, right? So that's my little, I, I'm not saying the Lord gave that to me. Maybe in Gene Roddenberry. I don't know, but something to think about anyway, something to ponder. Um, here's the thing. You know, we ask ourselves this question a lot. You know, can a person lose their salvation? And I think that there might be a better way to frame the question then can a person lose their salvation? Can God lose one of his children? Think about it that way, and it kind of changes things a little bit, doesn't it? Can God lose one of his children? In case you missed it, let me read verses 28 and 29 again. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. It seems pretty clear to me that when our Lord gives someone eternal life, that they can rest secure in him, that they can rest secure in their salvation, that no one can snatch us out of our God's hand. No one can snatch us away from the Lord. And so I'm absolutely certain on this doctrine until I read Hebrews 6. And I'm like, dang, now I don't know again. (laughs) Right, and all joking aside, there are a lot of verses on on both sides of the argument. And if if there weren't, theologians wouldn't have been arguing for 2,000 years about this. And sometimes I wonder if the Lord didn't do this on purpose. You know, he puts verses like this, like John 10 and Romans chapter 8, you know, that no, nothing can separate us from God's love. He puts those verses in there for those Christians who are struggling in their faith a little bit as an encouragement. And then he drops in a little Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 6, just to remind us, that all right, you better be careful though, all right? And the bottom line is this. If we abide in Christ, like Jesus was talking about earlier, it isn't an issue. We don't even have to worry about whether or not we can lose our salvation. And I think it was Chuck Smith who said this. He said, believe like you can't lose your salvation and live like you can. And I like that idea. But I want to note what Jesus says here in verse 30 as he moves on. He says, I and my Father are one. Right, the Jews are asking Jesus who he really is. And that's when they say, tell us plainly, Jesus, who are you? And this is Jesus' answer. My father and I are one. Jesus is making it very clear here who he's claiming to be, isn't he? Right, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what Jesus is saying here. My father and I are one. It's interesting. You know, I've spent over the years, a fair amount of time talking with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. And as you know, typically they, they deny the, the triune nature of God. Or they deny the divinity of Christ. And you'll bring up this verse. Well, what about John 10.30? And Jesus says, the Father and I are one. Oh, Jesus didn't mean that. They meant that he meant that he and the Father are one in purpose. That they have the same goals, that they have the same mission. Jesus just meant that there's unity between Jesus and God the Father. And I mean that sounds reasonable, I guess, until you read the very next verse, right? And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, "I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me?" The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. We mentioned last week that there is some cultural distance between us and Jesus in his day, right? It was another time, another region, another culture, and maybe sometimes we miss some of the cultural context. And some of the cultural cues. We don't always get the full depth of what's going on in the scriptures. But here, I don't think that that's the case. It seems pretty clear. And it seems like the Jews understood exactly what Jesus was saying, didn't they? Because they picked up stones to kill him. And look what it says here again. It says, and they picked up stones. What's the next word there? Verse 31, they picked up stones again to kill him. Remember the end of John chapter 8, Jesus was making another claim to divinity. And again, it was very clear and very explicit. And the Jews understood then exactly what Jesus was saying. And then they took up stones to kill him. Now, if it were me, and I had accidentally misspoken, and something I said was interpreted to mean that I was claiming to be God, A, I would have immediately clarified what I meant. And B, I wouldn't have soon after said the Father and I are one. Right? Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. And the Jews knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Listen, you're free to believe whether Jesus is God or not. That's your decision. But you can't deny that Jesus claimed that he was God. That is so explicit. And look what he says in the following verse. Jesus doesn't say, oh, you misunderstood. The Father and I are one in purpose. Right? Who would have been upset about that? That he wanted the same thing that God wanted. He said, I have shown you many good works from the Father. From which of them are you going to stone me? Jesus says, look, guys, are you going to stone me for, for healing the blind? Are you going to stone me for raising the dead? Are you going to stone me for, for calming the storm? And the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Again, we see it's so clear that they understood what Jesus was saying, right? We're not stoning you for good works. We're not stoning you for miracles. We're not stoning you for a healing, Jesus. We're stoning you for blasphemy. Because you, being a mere man, make yourself God. A little cultural background here. The Jewish people were absolutely reverent towards the name of God. And you know, sometimes when we refer to the Lord, Sometimes you hear people say Jehovah God, or you hear people say Yahweh, or some of these other things. Those are both guesses, those two names, Jehovah and Yahweh. They're based off of something called the Tetragrammaton. And that word Tetragrammaton, it's kind of a big, long, fancy Greek word that means consisting of four letters. And so to make a, a long explanation less long, The Jewish people, not only did they not say the personal name of God out loud, they didn't even write it out. When they were writing out the name of God, they would skip the vowels and just write the consonants. And the consonants were Y-H-W-H. I guess if it's Hebrew, I should be doing it the other direction. Y-H-W-H. And so scholars have kind of tried their best guesses to kind of fill it in and figure out what it was. And the best guess is that it was probably Yahweh. Um, And and that's the personal name of God. And when it came to a place in Scripture where that name came up, they would often substitute it for the name Adonai. And, and, And Yahweh means Lord or God. But in a divine way, in this word Adonai, it means Lord also, but more like the Lord of the manor, right? Like a, like what we kind of think of like, a, like an English Lord, that sort of thing. Or they would sometimes use the word Hashem. And Hashem in Hebrew means the name. So instead of pronouncing the name of God, they would just say the name. But they were very careful how they used the name of the Lord, because they didn't want to accidentally blaspheme God. Because blasphemy in the Old Testament, the punishment was death. It was capital. And what is blasphemy? I mean, sometimes we use the word in our culture, don't we? If somebody were to say, you know, I really think that Star Wars is better than Star Trek. That is blasphemy. That's clearly not true. (laughs) Right? But the word blasphemy... It means speech, it said, this is what Concord, that Strong's Concordance said. It says, speech injurious, that's not a word you use very often, is it? Injurious, speech injurious to another's good name. Impious and reproachful speech injurious to divine majesty. Misusing someone's name in a reproachful way is sort of what it means. And this was a very serious thing to the Jewish people. Again, it carried the death penalty under Jewish law. And that's what they're accusing Jesus of here. And so Jesus here, he's essentially standing in front of the fire, firing squad, right? They're, they're standing there. They're locked and loaded. They've got rocks in their hands. And they say, We're stoning you for blasphemy because you, being a mere man, are claiming to be God. There's no question what Jesus was saying. And here again, Jesus has another opportunity to clarify. Oh, that's not what I meant. I just meant that I, we were one in purpose. He had an opportunity to say exactly that, and he didn't. What he said is what he meant. What it sounds like is saying is exactly what he was saying. And so Jesus here, in the next verse, he sort of diffuses the situation. Right? No, he doesn't. He Throws a cup of gas under the campfire is what he does in the next verse. He says in verse 34, is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the father consecrated and sinned to the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? And so Jesus here he quotes Psalm 82 and Exodus 4, 16 in sort of a, sort of a weird way. Right? And it's a little bit confusing when you first read it. And it's a little bit confusing after 15 or 20 times of reading it. Right? It's just, it's just a hard passage here. And, and this is sort of the, the best that I can make of it. And, and some different scholars have different opinions on it. But remember in Exodus chapter 4, Remember, the Lord appears to Moses in the burning bush. And he tells Moses, look, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And Moses has a whole slew of excuses why he can't do it. And he says, Lord, I'm not eloquent. I, I, I stutter. I'm not a good public speaker. How can, I go before, how can I go before the Pharaoh? And the Lord says, well, don't worry about it. I'm going to send your brother Aaron with you, and he'll be your spokesman. You'll tell him what to say. And he says this in Exodus 4, he says, he shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And so the Lord is clearly speaking in a, in a metaphorical sense there, right? He says, when you talk to Aaron, it's gonna, you're going to be like God to him, you're going to be a God to him. And what he's saying there, obviously, is, I'm going to speak to you, Moses. I'm giving you the words of the Lord, and you're going to communicate them to Aaron. So in Psalm 82, Jesus is talking to those who are in positions of judgment, right? And sometimes they were called gods in a sort of a a lowercase g way. And he says in verse 6, I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. And so the idea here is sort of this. God says, look, you are like small g gods. You represent me as you stand in this place of judgment. But the rest of the verse, it makes clear they were still natural men who were going to die. And so Jesus makes this sort of interesting argument here. He says, look, you didn't have a problem with Moses when when he said he was God to Aaron. You didn't have a problem with the Judges and Psalms when they said that they were gods in that sense. Why do you have a problem with me when I actually am the Son of God, sent by the Father to speak to you? And in verse 37, he goes on, and he says, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Look, Jesus says, you've seen my life. You've seen my actions. You've seen how I live. If they don't line up with the Father, then fine. But if I do the works of the Father and you can see that the things that I am doing are clearly empowered by him, even if you're having a hard time believing the words that I'm saying, Jesus says, believe the one who sent me. Believe in the one who gave me the power to do these things. Believe, he says, so you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. I see something interesting here and I've never, I've read this passage many times. I've taught John a few times before this and I've never really caught this until yesterday as I was reading it. He says, believe so that you may know and understand. And I think the implication is this. Before you can really in a deep way, no one understand the things of God, you have to take a step of faith and believe in Him. And as you do that, He'll reveal more and more of Himself to you. And I think we have to understand that. There's only a certain amount that natural, unregenerated man can understand about God through Bible study. Right? You can... You can study the Bible and you can study apologetics without being born again. And you can have a a degree of understanding about who God is. But you only know about him. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. To really get to know who God is, you have to have faith in him. You have to believe. Whatever you know about Jesus, whatever you know about the Lord, Whatever you know about the Bible, even if you're a seasoned theologian, whatever you know, there's always so much more to learn about Him. To truly know and understand the Lord, Jesus says, first you have to believe. You have to take that step of faith and come to Him. And I think that's why some of you are here this morning. You're here to become a believer. And the Lord didn't tell you that because you probably wouldn't have came. It's sort sort of a trick. And I'm telling you now, today's your day. But if you want to understand who God is, you have to take a step of faith. You have to make a decision to believe in him. Believe in his son. Believe in the one who died so that you could be forgiven of your sins. You want to know what the Lord wants from you this morning? Jesus tells us in John chapter 6, verse 29. He says this. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You know what he wants from you? He wants you to believe in Jesus. That's the will of God for you this morning. And so, listen. If you're not a believer this morning, and you feel that tugging in your heart, if you hear that, that voice of God whispering in your spirit, drawing you to Him, don't resist that. Paul says, call in the name of the Lord and be saved. In a minute, as the worship team comes back up, we're going to have a, a time of communion. We're going to celebrate the good things that the Lord has done for us. And afterwards, I'll be on the side if anybody needs prayer. But I just want to encourage you. If you've drifted away and you're not sure where you stand with the Lord right now, and call out to Him. Do business with God this morning. Ask Him to forgive you and to restore that relationship. And if you've never come to Christ, simply believe. Simply call in the name of the Lord and be saved. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. And we thank you for your goodness and your mercy, Lord. We thank you that we're secure in you and that we can rest in our salvation, Lord, that it's not something that we have to work for and and we have to earn, that we have to be afraid that we're gonna lose, Lord. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your goodness, Father. And we ask that you would just continue to work in our hearts and in our lives, Lord. Continue to to deepen our faith and help us to put our, our eyes on you. We ask that in your name, Jesus.